Right. All right. So, um, Aston, you got to let uh, uh, Aston's in the in the in the room to ask a question. Uh, I, it's got to be about another fifteen or twenty minutes because uh, we got some stuff to cover with with Charles. So, Aston, if if you uh, if you if you want to stick around, please do. Uh, otherwise, uh, I, I certainly understand. Uh, it's great to see you again. Uh, we had. Uh, did you have a good holiday? Yeah, yeah, very good. Thank How's you. How's great then? Very British, very British holiday. So not much, uh, not much for tan. But uh, yeah, no, it was good. It's nice to get away, get away from the madness of the transfer window for a week or so. But but your wife has a tan though, correct? There, there was a uh, was there a tanning uh, party that happened or something like that. My wife had a uh, tan the night before. Yes, which absolutely wasn't a real one, and no, I was not involved. <laughs> I, I still were, I, I picked pictures, or it didn't happen. And by didn't happen, I mean that you weren't involved. Uh, <laughs> I think you were. So. Um, just a real quick reminder, go to goonersvcancer.com to donate, uh, and, and Owen, we're going to, we're going to also say goodbye to you at this point, uh, but go mm-hmm. to goonersvcancer to donate. We are ever so close to re- to reaching our goal of $5,000. I'd love to do it, uh, in the hour while Charles is on, uh, we are at $4,783 now. So, uh, so thank you to everybody that's donated. Owen, you're a champ. You've been a rock, uh, despite oversleeping you you you've you've won second prize for most hours put in on this podcast and uh mm. and i appreciate it and uh, well, i think five hours sleep in in over 24 hours isn't isn't too bad of an effort um no, no not, i mean nah. it's not mike Feinberg, Man, do you want to know what it, 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 it's been in quite quick actually surprisingly fast those hours and and it's obviously because of the brilliant guests we've had on and and, and the chat's been amazing and and as well, man, you putting in the effort is absolutely unbelievable. Uh, um, proud to call you a friend, and and you make me proud to be a gooner with with efforts like this here as well. So, um, thanks for that, maybe a part of it. And Charles, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Make a compliment. I'm like, I'm like, what can yeah, I say? Yeah, him on here sleep deprived even more. He's that, too that nice was, right now. That was weird, man. I don't. I feel like I should call you an asshole right now, so I'll do that. <laughs> and then I uh, said it exactly. I think I'll say to Charles, I, I, I'm I'm really sorry that I can't stick around and ask you about transfers somewhere, Charles. So I apologize for that. Do, do you have a two-word question for him, real quick, as you head out? Madison News. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, boys. Take it easy. Chat. Right, take, take it easy. easy. Uh, see hopefully, see you before too, if you if you're able to come back. But so that I, speaking of Madison News, I wanted to talk to you about that because you know we had a a, a Twitter interchange as I was on my way down to Orlando a couple of weeks ago, which uh, I, I believe I took a uh, I took I took a screenshot of it. Um, in a in a in a rare but well deserved moment of uh, hold on a second I'm gonna I'm gonna move you up here in a rare but but well deserved moment of non Arsenal related uh, social media you 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 went you went full in on wanting the the Sopranos version of Monopoly and within five seconds we got Dan G uh, just Madison news which is it's lazy it's insensitive and it got me very very angry and and as you can see i replied the hell is your problem the guy should be allowed to to tweet something that isn't directed to your need for constant transfer updates he's not a computer and i loved your response to that which uh which was that you just couldn't think of anything else other than yourself as a computer now at that point <laughs> and it went yeah. from there i mean d- does it does it bother you as much as it bothers me on your behalf no, not really. Not I kind of kind of accept it now. It's the uh, it's the way of the it's way of Twitter, and especially in the transfer window. 
definitely can't talk about anything other than transfers in the in the middle of the transfer window. Um, so no, it doesn't. I mean, it's not like you're not talking about transfers and, and and you're talking about this instead. You're just talking about this in addition to transfers. Well, I remember one of my colleagues, Neil. It's a real famous one on Twitter. Neil James, he's a Liverpool correspondent at Goal, and yeah, I mean his house is he um his house was on fire. He went out and he came back and found his house on fire. And he tweeted, "Scary, just come back from a walk and found my house on fire." And the first reply was someone asking him about Luis Suarez's quotes that day. And it was like, <laughs> He was like, I'm a bit busy, mate. My house is on fire. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> even something like that, the first response is is about transfers and possible incomings or outgoings. And it's just uh, it's just the way that it is. Twitter is a mad place at the best of times, let alone in the final few weeks of a transfer window. You can't really have an opinion on anything if it's not if it's not transfer related. Do you recall what ha- I mean, I know you have a lot of interchanges on Twitter and I'm, I'm the least uh, of the things that you're going to remember. But do you remember ha- where that conversation went after the computer comment? Yeah, yeah, I was talking about the uh, um, t- taking the Commodore sixty four. Well, yeah, before, before we do this, you, you, oh, you picture yourself as a computer. Uh, <laughs> took me back to 1981, 1982, um, Halloween. Uh, thanks a lot, Mom. Uh, I mean, look at the time. I thought that was great, and now I'm just mortified by that. And um, and instead of saying, "Oh, Mike, you look, you know, what a handsome young child you were." What a what a thin child you were, uh, believe it or not. Uh, we get Commodore greater than Atari, which is the 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 comp- the 1980s computer version of Madison News. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, but the, but the story then that brings us back to where we need to be, Andy, which is to uh, professional wrestling. Um, out of nowhere, I took my old Commodore 64 to a wrestling show in the UK, hoping Sabu would use it as a weapon. Luckily for the guy he was fighting, he didn't. That thing would have done some serious damage. It was a right unit. And I said at that moment, I said, the next time we have you on, we have to unpack that. Uh, so now Sabu, if you don't know, um, is is a, uh, not you, Charles, but other people. But Sabu is, uh, is known as the homicidal, suicidal, genocidal, death-defying maniac, though he's really a guy named Terry Michael Brunk from Staten Island, New York. Um, but... Uh, he was with a, a company called ECW at the time. Yeah, well, well uh, I mean that's what he was famous for. He wasn't fighting. It wasn't an ECW show over here. It was a. Uh, it was just a local independent, show. independent promoter paid to bring him over and headline. So, so now where you get searched and you have you know your pockets have to be emptied and you can't bring in this, you can't bring in that. You brought a Commodore sixty four to a wrestling show. Yeah, tell yeah. us. I mean, you just gotta expand on that. Didn't get used. Okay, he got left unused. Used, uh, but like, 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 what was he supposed, to, mean, was he supposed to play? Like, like a game on it, or what? What were we, What was he going to do? For someone to fully unused. I mean, this was a time when ECW was at its at its height, and everyone was taking random weapons in to try and get wrestlers to use it. And uh, you know, this is Sabu. I think he summed him up perfectly when you were describing what he's called, what he was known as. And you know, we, I just remember on the day of the show, me and my brother was searching around my parents' house, trying to work out what we could possibly take with us that might get used and might get a. And, and uh, you decided to just skip ooh. over the knives and forks and stuff and go straight to the Commodore 64. It was lying. It was lying in one of the cupboards that we hadn't used since uh, since we were about eight. And, oh, there you go. That's perfect. Let's use that. And I think I remember on the way there, we were walking through the streets of Walthamstow on the way on the way to it, and just thinking, this thing is massive. If someone used if someone used this, this would literally kill someone. <laughs> I think so. It's probably wise not to uh, not to actually hand it over. Um, but yeah, no one used it, so no 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 one died because of our Commodore sixty four. I think we actually yeah, you would have had you would have literally had blood on your hands. Uh, we would have had, I mean, it's fair if you're watching 
Sabu, you normally you normally got blood in your hands anyway. But uh, had, had New Jack been there, then it would have gotten used. Absolutely, one hundred percent would have got used. Oh, so Andy, what do you think? Uh, I mean, how old are you guys both? Like in your forties? Man, these, these are the glory days of wrestling. Andy, ECW at its height. Come on, Andy. Yeah, this is the late nineties, probably that we're talking about here. So. Uh, Attitude Era, ECW at its best. You know, in the late 90s is when I should have probably been watching it uh, because I would have been at that age, uh, you know, pre-teen. <laughs> well, look. You'd still be watching it now if you were. Well, my, my anyway, excuse, Madison update? Yeah, yeah. My, my, excuse, <laughs> always, my excuse always was that, that, that Jake got me back into wrestling. And, and it is true. He did. Like, he became of an age where, where he, he and his friends started watching it. I got back into it. He couldn't care less about it now, and I'm still watching it. So, um, so Charles, before we get into transfers, AEW or WWE right now? Are you still watching? I'm not. I mean, I, I'm watching via social media. I, I can't sit down and watch Raw anymore. I just get it. Just annoys me. It's the lack of crowd reaction and the whole PG era. I like what I see of AEW, but again, I'm not a massive fan of it. I'm. I mean, CM Punk. It's supposed to be going back in Chicago in about a week's time, and I'll certainly be watching that. Twenty thousand, yeah, yeah, they are in Chicago. That'll that'll, yeah. that'll be crazy. Twenty thousand, it's a better product right now. And oh, it is. Chris Jericho goes. Uh, I will. I will follow. Yeah. He is. The, he is the goat. He is the guy. This week. This week was about what twenty-one years to the day from that entrance with Rocky. Uh, yeah, that's right. Best day. Right. So yeah, I'd say about AEW, and I'm doing, I'm very much looking forward to seeing CM Punk in Chicago, hometown crowd. Um, should be should be great. So. I'll get killed if we don't talk about. I'll be killed by Andy if we don't talk about transfers. So uh, it literally in the you know when you do a twenty four hour podcast, news breaks during the podcast. We have the news break of the Ramsdale breakdown um, by James McNicholas, who then came on the podcast and talked about it. We have the news broken uh, just within the past thirty minutes or so of of the Willock sale apparently being solidified by David Ornstein, who uh, will not be joining us on the podcast, but. Um, are we going to be able to sell anybody after Willock? I mean, you know, we're, everyone's worried that we're not buying enough players. We got 19 days left in the window. What I want to know is, are we going to be able to get and extract any fees for anybody else now that Willock has been sold? I mean, Willock's always going to be the most sellable asset right now. I think if you can't sell Willock after what he did at the end of last season, then you're in you're in serious trouble. You look at the rest of them in terms of generating big, big fees. It's just looking more and more unlikely now. You know, Xhaka was going to be one who could possibly generate a bit. He's staying unless something dramatic happens now. Ray Anderson. Breaking news from Ray Anderson. Uh, Ray, you're you're a man. You've been staying up with us. Wrestling is fake. You've just... Have you ever... Charles, I'm sorry. Have you ever seen the clip on YouTube of the guy at the wrestling convention who's like crying and he's like, it's real to me, man. <laughs> oh, if you've never seen that, just look up wrestling. It's real to me. And, and this guy just crying about how these guys, I mean, it's true. They, they put their bodies and their lives and their health and it, it, it's, it's real What's to me, man. What? Yeah. His name. Yeah. His name is, uh, is Mike Feinberg. But, um, but yeah, so wrestling being fake aside from that. Um, so Willock is the most sellable asset, but he I'm is. sorry. Maitland Niles, you think if a decent offer can come in for Maitland Niles, then I'm, you know, they're going to, they're going to listen to that. Reese Nelson, Eddie and Ketia. I think in injury is obviously a bit of a blow in terms of getting him out the door because he's not going to be fit for the end of the transfer. And I don't think it's a be all and end all, 
because he'll be back fit at the start of September. So it might, you know, that could possibly be something that happens. But Willock's a big one. That's the one they're always going to get the most amount of money for. Um, and you would hope now that they invest it back straight away into sorting out some of the squads that they need to sort out because they need to desperately two areas. I mean, the goalkeeping situations are fast as far as I'm concerned. I can't believe we're a day before the season starts and basically only got Bert Leno. And if something happened today in training to Bert Leno, I mean, what on earth are Arsenal going to do for the first month of the season? It absolutely should have been done and dusted by now. Uh, that one, I can understand the attacking midfielders dragging on a little bit longer because that's potentially going to be a very big deal and they need to make some sales first to get a bit of money in. And, you know, the players are after, you know, Real Madrid haven't taken a final decision on Odegaard. He hasn't made a final decision yet. So that's always one that's potentially going to drag to the end of the window. But the goalkeeper, I just, I just can't believe we're a day before the start of the new season and you're going to be relying on Berlin. I was at the Tottenham game last week and there was that, he made that save from Son in the first half and was down injured for about a minute afterwards getting some treatment. And I just remember thinking, my my God, if he goes off it, if this is bad, what on earth are Arsenal going to do? And you start you starting the season with three tricky games, Brentford, Chelsea, Manchester City. You know, oh, I don't... It's, it, it's a shit show if that happens. And, and um, you know, we have three potential goalkeepers that could be the backup and none of them are ready no uh, exactly. some Alex, of them will never be ready but Alex Ferenson will never be good enough to be a Premier League goalkeeper uh Arthur Conco very highly rated you know real talent but 19 year old kid we saw in pre-season how he's not ready to be a first team player nor should he be it would be unfair on him to throw him into the mix now so they've got to get something sorted and the fact that they've gone in the, the Ramsdale deal has potentially broken down up first. I wouldn't say that's definitely not 100% going to happen. It might be something they revisit at the end of the window if Sheffield United lower their demands a little bit. Right. But I mean, it, it's us holding firm on his valuation, it sounds like. Yeah, but they're so far apart. They've been talking all summer. And then to get to this stage of the summer and be so far apart still in negotiations that the deal totally, absolutely collapses, it's just, it's just, it's really confusing to me. It's real mismanagement as far as I'm concerned in that one position that it should have been sorted and hopefully it's not going to cost Arsenal and that Leno will be fine and it, everything will go smoothly. But if if the worst happened and he got himself injured tomorrow or in training today, then, you know, Edu and Arteta, they've got some serious questions to answer in terms of building this summer. So we're going to bring Aston on in a second, but I, I've I got to play you this video clip. And, and Andy, you got to tell me if this is how you see me, because if you, if this is how you truly see me, I need, I really need to, to, to stop with this wrestling stuff, but uh, this is the clip, the clip I was talking about. I hope, I hope the, uh, the audio will come through here, but uh, here we go. This is, <laughs> Can you hear it? I can hear it, yeah, just about. Is that, is that Jim Cornette? Yeah, it was Jim Cornette. I thought it was. No, that wasn't Jim uh, Cornette. That, not the, doing that, but he was on the lineup and that, that he was talking. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's, that's exactly how I see you, Mike. Oh, God. Oh, God. I've got a real... Charles is the guy behind who's patting him on the back, and I'm the guy who's turned around being like, what the fuck is this guy saying? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right, Aston, pull, pull us hey, out Mike, of this. I got to uh... jump for a moment. I'll, I'll jump back on in a little bit. All right, man. Uh, so, Aston, it, it is uh, – I'm looking outside. It, it's uh, 
are you in like a are, are you developing uh old style black and white photography right now no no it's just 920 so it's not quite bright outside quite yet where i'm at um and there's a tree outside so this room is just naturally dark and i just haven't turned on any lights so all right well yeah you, and, I, and I like to blend into the background quite frankly well, yeah I, I wasn't gonna say that but <laughs> um Charles, I am so yeah. excited to meet you. Thank you so much for being on the podcast and be opening yourself up the way that you do. It really is like the way that a lot of the journalists have kind of come along and like opened yourself up uh, to, to the social media thing has been wonderful and hugely insightful. So thanks again. No worries. Thanks for that. Aston, good to meet you. Good to meet you. Um, my, I, my question for you is, as a journalist that's kind of, um, you guys get to see how the deals are done. Maybe you don't know every detail or, or every little thing, but you guys get to see the structure of deals and maybe the, the way that teams go about making the transfers. So instead of talking about transfer targets, I've noticed that we've had three regimes in the, like the last decade, right? No matter who changes out, it seems that Arsenal have the same problems, which kind of speak to more of a structural issue. So what is the difference between how Arsenal goes about getting these deals done and how maybe Liverpool or Chelsea or, or City go about getting these deals done? Why does it always seem like we're such a mess? I think mainly because we're Arsenal fans. I think if you go and speak to, I think if you go and speak to Liverpool fans and ask that exact same question, they'll think that they're a mess as well and they don't get their deals done as quickly as as a lot of other of other clubs do. I think it's mainly because we're kind of seeing it through Arsenal eyes, if you see what I mean. Um, look, they are, Arsenal have had some major issues in the past. I think when it was the old regime of Wenger and Dick Law, you know, money was clearly very tight and they were trying to get the best possible deal constantly for for the club. And, you know, Arsenal treated it almost as, as his money. He's kind of admitted that himself as well. Changed a little bit. I thought they were a little bit more forceful with Raul and... <laughs> I'm not going to go into why that might have been, but um, a little bit under him, they seem to, you know, they got the deals done without really thinking too much about if they were worth and value for the money. Um, and maybe now this summer, you know, I think they've still spent 75 million this summer, mm. which when you look at the financial difficulties that Arsenal are suffering and everyone else is suffering, you know, they've spent a fair bit and they haven't brought in a single penny yet. So the outlay is actually... They've been quite forceful in the market. I think the surprising thing is it's just they've been forceful in areas that possibly they didn't need to prioritise. I think Ben White's going to be a great signing, and I loved watching him against Spurs. And just you know, I just thought oh, he's, he's really, really good. But did they really need to spend fifty million pounds first of all in a transfer in this window on a centre back? I'm not sure they did. I think they needed to sort out the attacking midfielder option first and get add more creativity to the team. They needed to add a goalkeeper, and so I think they have done quite a bit of work pretty early this summer and actually got some things done well, but I'm just not sure they've prioritised the right positions. Yeah, well, I guess that's kind of what, kind of the question. It's like a combination of like the scouting, the recruitment, like whatever the, the key structure is there, because what we, what we continue to notice is a pattern of Arsenal picking up, for example, like you said, we spent 75 million, uh, we've spent 75 million this summer, and yet we have no um, key center mid, we have no key attacking midfielder, which every fan and even Arteta himself will identify as the needs of the team. You can go back to uh, you can go back all the way back to Wenger when it's when it always seemed like whenever there was a player that we needed or a type of player that we needed, 
we somehow never seem to get that deal done. In fact, like it, even our successes, like you look at the ABBA situation, you're like, okay, well, we got a top striker when we need, um, but we had bought a striker literally the summer before. So it always seems like Arsenal is two steps behind and actually developing their squad or, or holistically versus, you know, I mean, obviously you can't compare us to City. City is a machine. They, they recruit incredibly well, incredibly efficiently, even though they spend a lot of money, you have to hats off to them. They always seem to be able to fill in the holes that they need. But um, even like Liverpool or, or Chelsea or, or even to some degrees, like look, look at Leicester City. Why are they able to pick up the players that they need versus Arsenal, who just seem to always be off the mark? Yeah, I, I agree about Leicester. I mean, I think they're the benchmark. Uh, I think they're very, very smart in the transfer market. They've got a clear priority over what they want, and they're very good in in the um, in the market. And Arsenal aren't. I, I think whether that's personnel, whether that's you know, I think ultimately this window, Edu's going to be judged massively on this window and how Arsenal do this season. And you know, the, when he came over, there was a lot of talk about him being a little bit too experienced for this sort of job. And I think so far he has struggled in some areas I think he's done all right in some other areas but ultimately I think it's personnel I think if you if you've got top quality personnel who know exactly what they're doing and everyone talks to each other and everyone has a clear structure and plan of how they want the club to operate in the transfer market then it can work very very well and Leicester are the prime example of that um I think Chelsea a little bit different because obviously they've got Roman's money and he's going big but they still are very good in the transfer market City like you said are a a beast Liverpool have done you know they've built a very good squad under Klopp but I, I think, you know, there, there's still a lot of anti-owner um, feeling at Liverpool, just like there is at Arsenal. Um, but I think, yeah, I think ultimately it's personnel. And I think Arsenal have lost their way a little bit in terms of that. And now at the moment, they've got a bunch of novices running a club in key areas. You've got a novice technical director, you've got a novice manager, you've got a novice chief executive, and you've got an absentee owner. So you're not going to have the most well-oiled machine when it comes to doing your, sorting out your club when you've got people like that in the top position. So hopefully they can learn quickly and they can end up doing a decent enough job. But, um, you know, when you've got inexperienced personnel in key positions and you've got an owner who, let's face it, doesn't really take too much interest in what's going on over here on the on the ground every single day, then it's it's not a good it's not a good mixture. Uh, Aston, if you've got more questions, st- stick around. I don't want you to go anywhere. Um uh, because I, I actually I have a restraining order where, Char- where I'm not allowed to be alone with Charles, but um, <laughs> but uh, we do have some questions in the chat um, from for the kids media. Charles, there seems to be a stronger focus on homegrown players, which is a topic that's been recurring throughout this podathon, but more so than ever before. Do you think that Brexit is influencing the importance of homegrown players? I mean, is it is it about Brexit or is it about just Premier League rules and and, yeah. and the finances of the game? I mean, a lot of people are talking about Brexit being a key influence in that. I'm not, I'm not totally sure. Maybe when it comes to somebody you know, buying real sort of younger players, but I'm not so sure when it comes to the, the senior players. I think it's more Premier League rules and homegrown rules. I'm not sure. Really, it's it's completely down to Brexit. I think that's maybe when it comes to sort of the younger players. Um, so no, I think it's more it's more probably Premier League rules than, than anything else. Yeah, and and uh, and I and I figured you'd say that. I mean, Bre- and and with Brexit happening so close to COVID, honestly, or or so kind of interchangeably with with COVID, it's it, you almost don't really know the full impact at this point. Mm-hmm. We thought the issue was going to be of people getting uh, 
uh, you know, inability to get work permits or, 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 or something like that. Whereas yeah. now it's just the inability to, to really be able to play for the club because of uh, a pandemic. So. So Charles, quick question, like a follow up on that actually is, um, so do you think the homegrown um, rule is actually like, for example, why we're going over Ramsdale over Onana or a Madison over an OR maybe? Is, the, is that really the club's thinking behind that? I think it'll be very much at the forefront. I don't know if it is the actual reason um, about it, but, you know, they've got to think carefully about those non, how many homegrown players they've got. I mean, we saw what the issue that, that happened last season in leaving out Ozil and Socrates and they may not have been two players that Arteta would have used but just the fact of leaving them out and having them around the training ground not playing and not being able to play was no good to anyone you had unhappy players you had mates of those unhappy players who probably weren't unhappy weren't happy with the situation and it caused real issues behind the scenes and so you don't want something like that happen again so it absolutely has to be at the forefront of of Arteta and Eddie's mind when it comes to squad building because you don't want a similar situation to what happened last season because that wasn't that wasn't good for anyone. Mike, I think you're muted. Sorry about that. Are there any? Are there any? Sorry about that. Are there any players in the current setup that you think can be? And I know that people talk about Aubameyang and and if I I, I had to listen to something real quick, which is why I was on mute. So if if I'm asking you a redundant question, forgive me. Anybody that could then slide into that kind of. Socrates, Mustafi, Ozil type of, of camp and become another dressing room issue, let's say. I don't know. Not, I'm not sure with this current squad. And I don't think they'll get to a situation where they have to leave players out. So I'd be surprised if we have another issue with that. I mean, the Orba situation isn't... He needs to start playing well and he needs to start scoring because if he doesn't, then Arteta's going to have to make a big decision with him fairly soon. And you don't want your highest paid player and your captain not playing very often because, again, that won't be ideal behind the scenes. But um, I don't think we're going to get, I, I would hope we're not going to get into a situation where, again, they have to actually leave players out because of uh, a lack of planning and, too, and no quota spaces and things like that. Well, we're probably going to have to do that with Kolasinac, right? Because it doesn't look like he's getting picked up by anybody or anybody can afford his wages, right? Yeah, I mean, Kolasinac is going to be... He, you, you think he might be one of them, but I'm still not sure if we'll get to the stage where he has, absolutely has to get le left out of the squad. We'll have to wait and see what they do between now and the last three weeks. And I wouldn't be surprised if they find something for Kalazanac, even if we have to get to a situation where we got to with the others, where you, you come to some sort of agreement to to, to pay him off and, and get him out. Um, we'll, we'll have to wait and see on it. I mean, there is interest in him, definitely, from clubs in Turkey, but those wages are very difficult to get around because no one's going to give him anything like that so whether it be Arsenal covering is he going to get an Ozil deal where, where basically we pay 75% or more of his wages to, to go play at Fenerbahce with with Mezit? he might have to it, yeah and and to be honest it's still better than nothing doing that just because it gets him away and yeah. it's no point keeping him around so um, no, no small coincidence that uh that the team started playing better after the January transfer window than before no, absolutely not it's a, it's a clear it's clear why that happened. <laughs> I think I, I think Jim uh, Jimmy Housen was uh, uh, was on the pod like four days ago, but it was actually just yesterday. It just seems that way. Um, asked about Lucas Torreira, and that may have been in response to my you know who are the next potential people that could end up being in that position. But what is the latest uh, as far as you understand it with Luke? I mean, he is the he's one of the the people that really hasn't been a part of our setup for a year or two. That I almost feel if if he had his mind on straight, could ha have a way back into the squad, but I don't think he wants to play in England though. 
no, I, I, he'll 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 go. I don't know where to. I mean, there's talk that Lazio are interested. I, I'd say Italy is would be a the most likely option for him. He's been sort of self isolating over in um, Spain or quarantining over in Spain because of I think they're amber list rather than red list. And I think if once he, he he flew there from South America and he could stay there, then when he arrived back here, he didn't have to quarantine here. I think he might be back now. I think he might have got back either today or maybe he's coming back tomorrow. But um, they'll sort him out one way or the other. I'd, I'd be very surprised if he's still around. You know, he's not. He's not going to be part of the plans. Um, he wants to leave. He's, you know, he's done with. Done with England, really. I think he's made that pretty clear, and it just hasn't hasn't worked for him after that initial excellent start to his last life. It's sad as well, and I think we all watched Torreira and when he started and how good he was. He thought, oh, he's been waiting ages to see a player like you in his team. It's brilliant. You go back to that Tottenham game, the goal, the celebrations. You'd never envisaged at that point what would have happened to Torreira. You thought it'd be. I mean, I thought he was nailed onto Player of the Season that season after a couple of months. I, I, it was everything that we needed. I mean, do, do, do you think he just didn't settle in England or did he not settle to the fact that Unai Emery decided that he was going to be our our James Madison solution? I mean, like, 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 I mean, he got played out so far out of position as far as I, you know, I'm, I'm concerned that it just, it was bizarre. He was doing so well being that, that, that guy parked in front of the back four mm. and the little terrier nipping at your heels everywhere uh, that we, that we finally had. And then, so, you know, it didn't seem like he wasn't settling into England until he was just played so far out of his comfort level for whatever reason. Um, so, do, I mean, do you think that was more of it? He just he just fell out of love with the game because of he wasn't playing the, the position he's used to? I think so. I mean, that's it traces right back to that, doesn't it? Because, like you said, it didn't feel like he wasn't really settling then. But having said that, also, that was around the time that he had to have his first winter in England. And uh, that might have, for a... Uh, guys in South America first winter in England might have thought oh god do I want to do many more of these so um but yeah I mean Emery planning in that position definitely didn't help it knocked him out of his stride completely um and it definitely didn't help but I think also it's just the it is the the English weather that he's talked about many times before it's just not it's just not worked out for him and I think that it's put him really sort of far back in terms of his career as well because I thought Atletico was going to be a perfect low move for him and I really expected him to do well over there and it didn't really happen for him there either um, and you can't complain about the climate in Madrid, and he had a South American coach working with him. So um, he's got a he's got a bit of a challenge now, Torreira, in sort of wrestling back his career because it was going one way before he came to Arsenal, and wrestling back career. his career. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's going going the other way now. And then you know, I, I'd like to see him go and do well somewhere, but I, I can't see that being at Arsenal. Do you think that that's like another issue that um, maybe we have in recruitment that maybe we're not scouting the personalities as well as we used to? Because it does seem that we have a repeat of many players coming and then once they come, their personality is actually what doesn't fit. Maybe the talent's there. Maybe they can play well. I mean, you're talking about Lucas Torreira. Obviously, we already know the Ozil situation, but Kalajanach, when he came, he looked a decent player. It's mm. only after... So many after he played for us for you know about a season that we started to go okay. You, his you, best you, match for us was his yeah. first match, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, the charity shield. After yeah, which I purchased his, his name on the back of a shirt, which, which <laughs> I shouldn't have done. He went. He went in my fantasy team at the start of that season because I was convinced he was going to score plenty of goals and set up plenty. I think with Kalas Natural, he was just always much more of an attacker than he was a defender, wasn't he? But then he, he kind of lost the attacking edge as well as it, as it went on. The the goals dried up. The his crossing just went. He was a poor man, poor man's Andre Santos. <laughs> yeah. It was really bizarre seeing the lack of uh, the sort of the way he 
regressed in the final third when he was in decent positions and instead of whipping the ball in like he did or drill it in like he did, he just stopped doing that. And um, I think that he was, he was a free transfer. It's just that unfortunately they put him on massive, massive wages, which have cost him. I mean, you talk about those sort of players. Gwendouzi was one as well. I think you yeah. sort of took a chance. Everyone knew what was what Gwendouzi's background was like when he came here and the issues that he'd had when he'd been at Lorient with, and with his previous coach. So that wouldn't have been something that was... Um, a mystery to Arsenal, but certain managers and certain clubs always think they can tame these type of players. It obviously didn't happen at Arsenal. We'll have to wait and see now if it if it happens at Marseille. It, he, he fell out with people at Hertha Berlin as well when he initially went there, and um, there were some issues behind the scenes with him there. So um, it's just sometimes you take a risk on these players and hope you can be the ones that that settle them down. But unfortunately, not for Guendouzi. But I don't think Torreira is like that. I don't think he's an issue behind the scenes. I think it's just a case some players don't settle in England and he was one of them. Yeah. Um, didn't fancy playing on a, on a rainy Wednesday night in Stoke, I suppose. Um, so we've got a question from Kim B in the chat. Um, it says, uh, oh, uh, actually, no, that's not the question I was looking for. Um, where is it? It had something to do with the, uh, oh yeah, from, from S Irvine. Charles, can you see us pulling a wonder signing out of the bag for a player we may not even be linked with? I'm thinking along the lines of Pepe, Parte, Ozil in the past. Frankly, the Partey thing was the entire summer. If you listen to uh, to, to to this guy, uh, but um, but Ozil certainly was a, was a shocker. That 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 came out of nowhere on the very final day of the transfer window. But uh, what, what's your gut saying, or even or, or your educated gut saying about? Is there a madness on its way potentially in this year? Hashtag madness. Um, I, I don't know if there is. I mean, I wouldn't know about it yet because it'd be something that'd be out of the blue. But I would suggest. No, and if they're going to do something, it will be for one of the names we've we've seen. I still think Odegaard's the most likely option when it comes to the sort of big money signing between now and the end of the window, and that could be nearer the end of the window. That I think they they played a first league game this weekend, Real, and it'll be very interesting to see sort of where he is in the pecking order in terms of a starting eleven or even substitutes. And um, you know, if he if he finds in the first couple of weeks that he's not getting any sort of game time, then. I think if he really pushes for a move away, the rail won't stand in his way, and then it's up to Arsenal to to make the sort of bid that tempts Rail into doing business. So I, I think he's the most likely as it as it stands. Um, but in terms of one out of the bag from nowhere, certainly a big name. I'd, I'd I'd be surprised. I think right now a lot of the focus will be on what happens with Odegaard. So if I if I'm still holding out hope of uh, Erling Haaland coming, uh, I should I should give up on that now. I'd, 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 uh, I wouldn't be putting money on that one. First, first, I have to find out the hard way that uh, that, that wrestling is fake, and now I now you've just crushed my 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 dreams and goals. Um, this is not going the way I wanted to. But um, for the kids' media, with another great question, Big Sam advised. I, I mean, I don't know that this is true, but I'll take your word for it. Big Sam advised Mainsley to go back to Arsenal and be happy playing right back. Um, do you think that he will listen to his former coach and be happy competing for that spot? I hope so. He did devise it back. It was a really good quote from Allardyce. And Alan, good quotes rarely come out of Allardyce's mouth, but um, that was a good one. It, and I think it was something like saying, if you're a club like Arsenal, you play where, where you're told to play and be happy about it. And, you know, Maitland-Niles, for me, Maitland-Niles, there is a slight opportunity there to make the right-back spot his own at Arsenal. Still, it, you know, they haven't shifted anyone on. So it's very unlikely that they'd bring someone in between now and the end of the window, considering you've got Cedric, Chambers, Bellerin and Maitland-Niles. You can all play there. Um, and no one's got that spot nailed down for me. You know, Bellerin just looks like we've seen Bellerin since he's come back from the injury. Unfortunately, he's not the same player. Chambers did a decent enough job at the end of last season, but for me, he's not a right back. 
Cedric, I don't think, I think he's done nothing really wrong, Cedric, but Arteta clearly doesn't fancy him. And so there's an opportunity for Ainsley there if he takes it and plays well to really sort of have a chance of playing week in, week out for Arsenal. He's his boyhood club. So I think he should be listening to Allardyce in all honesty, but whether he does or not, I mean, we know he wants to play central midfield. He said it plenty of times in the interviews that he's given, but if, you know. if he, if, you know, from what he's gone through at Arsenal, where, where clearly he's, he's really wanted to kind of sow his oats playing in the midfield and say, you know, look, I, I think I can do this. I need to find out and I'm not going to get the chance to do it. Arsenal loan spell at West Brom where, you know, love him or hate him. Sam Allardyce knows a bit about football. Mm. Um, and, you know, to hear that from him, I mean, at this point, he's got to be at a crossroads where he's like, I can I can continue this dream of playing center midfield, but I'm probably going to be somewhere in the middle to lower part of the championship or, you know, until I prove myself there and then get another move. Or I can go and, and, and really compete for the starting right back job at one of the, you know, the, the glory clubs uh, and hope to help them regain their glory. I mean, if he doesn't take that opportunity, then then I mean, that that says everything about 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 the guy. I mean, he, he, the one position that is most wide open for him to be able to grab is the one that he's shown that he can play pretty well at, even mm. if it's not his preferred position. So why not do it? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I agree with you. I think he's got all the attributes to be a very good fullback. And he's shown that at times. He can keep his head switched on and sort of cut out the laps of the concentration that we sometimes see from Ainsley. I think he's got, he's got everything needed to be a top, a, a top level fullback or wingback. What I can't begin to even understand, though, for, from my point of view, is Ainsley Maitland-Niles is a player that has, A, has a lot of talent. I don't think he's maybe an elite player or a top, top player, but he's got a lot of talent. He can play a lot of roles. He can fill in in the midfield. He can fill in at right back. Why aren't we able to sell him? Like, it, it just, it seems, it baffles me that we're seeing Chelsea um, Chelsea Academy players who haven't even played a, made a senior appearance go for $20 million. Meanwhile, we have players, Ainsley Maitland-Niles was integral to that FA Cup win. He was integral to it. And yet, we can't even seem to get a bidder for him right now. Like, what is going on? No one's got any money. It's, uh, it's, it's just... There's Alice very, had money for this guy that no one's ever heard of before. That, yeah, that is true, but they've obviously identified him. They haven't identified Ainsley, but anyone who wants Ainsley hasn't been able to come up with any sort of decent money. And, you know, money is a massive, massive issue. This market is pretty dead. You look mm-hmm. at the signings we've seen this summer, and especially in the sort of mid to level signings, you've still had the big ones, the Grealishes from the, you know, the money clubs who don't really the finances don't matter to you. But in terms of the sort of mid-range, which you would say Ainsley Maitland-Niles is a sort of 10, 15 million pound signing, we just haven't seen that yet. The market is absolutely dead, pretty much. I, I think it will kick off between now and the end of the window because people are going to start panicking and thinking we have to do something um, and, and get some players in. But you've got selling clubs at the moment. You talk Honestly, all the agents you talk to are telling you the same story at the moment. You've got selling clubs who want as much money as possible because they're going to want to because they haven't got any and they need to reinvest it back into the squad. So they want as much as possible. And then you've got the buying club who again, haven't got any money. So they're trying to get the best deal possible. So you just, it's just stationary, the market, because no one's given an inch at the moment, but at some point you feel like compromise is going to have to be had in these last few weeks and things are going to get going um, again. And that some deals will, will happen. Amazing, Ainsley made and he's got he got himself in his England squad. He's very. You almost called him Mainsley, which is our yeah. name for him. Correct myself. If he got himself in his England squad, he, he had a decent loan spell at West Brom as well. You know, he kept putting some good performances there while he was in midfield for them. And so 
I agree. He feels like one who would be very sellable, but at the moment it just it just hasn't happened for whatever reason. Um, and by the way, the, the creator of, of the word Mainsley, uh, I, I was is, is Tom Canton, who just took a job with Reach, as a matter of fact, uh, and uh, up and coming journalist who I've been asked to introduce to you. And I'd, I'd like to talk to you about that after the after the pod, but because uh, the guys, the guys brilliant. Um, but uh, we were at a game. I think it was the maybe the Watford game where uh, where Czech saved Dini's penalty and 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 oh, yeah. Mains, he just shouts out Mainsley like he got it confused and, and so Mainsley has been his name and you know I didn't want us to sell him to Wolves because I thought the guy you know really could be a, a jack of all trades for us if he wanted to be mm. and he just doesn't seem to want to be. Yeah, um, I was with you. I, I didn't want him to sell when when Wolves came knocking. I. I you're keeping I said 30 and you're tempting me 20 that's too much and 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 we basically refused that and then froze him out yeah <laughs> he does that arteta though doesn't he it's like you think he thinks he really like he really likes a player then all of a sudden a couple of weeks later he's gone <laughs> he's gone and on the on the fringes again it's like cedric you think oh cedric's got a chance here he's played well a couple of games he's gonna have an opportunity then suddenly he's out in the cold again it's and, uh, was, was he smoking in the showers like what was he doing speaking of which and and you do not have to answer this uh kim b with the question what's the what who's the most unmeritedly arrogant manager you've interviewed charles and why is it our <laughs> how about we'll leave the end of that off and and is that still a question you can answer um i don't i don't know if i've i, I mean i've certainly called arteta arrogant by any means um I've, I've interviewed plenty of arrogant footballers, managers. I, don't, I, I wouldn't. I'm sort of going back. At, I mean, Arsenal. We've had three. Wenger certainly wasn't arrogant. Em, Emery was. You know. You wouldn't say that he's. I mean, I, I think in a in a way that, and, and I can see the point about Arteta as well. Like I, I see a level of arrogance there. It's 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 not you've arrogance. You've got your sportsman like arrogance, which they all have. But um, you know, he, he answers questions as best as he can. I wouldn't. I, I've never really looked at him and thought, yeah, you're... It's not Jose Mourinho kind of arrogant. Yeah, you're not. Well, he, and he couldn't be because he's not really achieved anything. And Mourinho has, so he has every right, in a way, to be arrogant. Um, Arteta hasn't. But, yeah, I mean, I, I I would never sort of single those three out as a, uh, the three Arsenal managers. I mean, Emery certainly wasn't arrogant. Emery was a delightful guy, even if he was not good. <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually had the pleasure of sitting in on a press conference with him in, in Los Angeles uh, before and after the Bayern game. And we won't talk about what happened at that press conference because uh, it was an embarrassing moment for me. But but uh, he just, you know, you just wanted him to succeed as a person yeah. because he just, he came out, he was so deferential. Like what happened was my phone went off. We had the, you know, the voice memo thing on the on the podium. And of course, my alarm went off in the middle of it. I had to walk up and almost get my ass kicked by Granit Jaka, who was sitting next to him. And so, and go skulking back and do the do the walk of shame back to my seat, but uh, but you know Unai was just like, you know he was like trying to find the person whose whose phone alarm was going off in the middle of the press conference, and I was just like I felt awful, but yeah I wanted to. He was a really nice guy. He was a really nice guy, Unai, and he, he had a lot of time for everyone and was polite all the time, and um he was yeah he was a great guy, and and Arson was Arson. I I've had some really arrogant footballers, but I'm not going to name them. To be honest, yeah, I was about to say you can't just leave that dangling out there, man. You can't just who's the who's the arrogant footballer? Was it Bentner? Yeah, was it Bentner? <laughs> it was Bentner, wasn't it? I've never interviewed Nicholas Bentner. No, and to be honest, Arsenal, it's not really Arsenal players. It's more before I got to Arsenal in my previous jobs because those are the times when I could at Arsenal. It's also managed. You don't really get the opportunity to really see the player and interview them properly because it's all so 
managed and fake almost. It's just but before when I was covering Reading and, you know, I could walk through the training ground on my own, just grab players, talk to them. And you'd really sort of build up relationships with them and see what they were actually like when uh, they weren't in the whole media media uh, trained sort of zone that we get with Arsenal players. So there's been there was a few. There was I had some plenty of run-ins with players back then, and arguments and one massive uh, argument or one player on the side of the training pitch in Bangkok during Reading's pre-season tour. He basically blamed me and my reporting for the fact that they had a crap season the season before and nearly got relegated. And uh, it turned into a bit of an argument, and with it in front of literally the entire Reading squad and everyone. But um, I'm not going to, I'm not going to name him. I'm not sure if too. Yeah. We could do, we could do the research. We have, we have people to do that for us. He um, was very arrogant, though. And I'm not Charles Watts. Are you, are are you um, now with the with the full fans coming back to the stadium uh, on Friday and 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 you know at at the Emirates as well the following weekend. Is there back? Are we back to having a mixed zone? Is it is it full access uh, after the game, or is it really just kind of press box, social no, distancing, Zoom? Still exactly the same, unfortunately. So no mixed zone and press conferences for now are still on Zoom, which the last couple have been a shambles because when it's behind closed doors, it was fine because there's no one in the stadium. But now, like the Chelsea game last weekend, Tottenham um, as well, the two in the Mind series games, you had fans in the stadium all around you obviously making noise you had the music was being played in the stadium as well and yet you're still sitting there trying to hear what Arteta is trying to say on your on zoom in the press box and it's they've been a bit of a shambles so they have to sort that out because he couldn't hear us we can hear him um I think he took sort of four questions in 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 that one it was a really bizarre presser and yeah so unfortunately no I don't really it doesn't make any sense to me either because Arsenal have literally got a massive cinema room for a press conference room you could easily social distance so I don't see why they're not doing it really um in there but for now it's because I I bet you it's it's the same reason that like in my business and financial services and sales um you know I never met so many clients face to face I I was doing a lot of stuff over the phone but now we're having zoom meetings and now like you know there's almost no reason to go and drive an hour to get across the, the Washington DC area and traffic to meet with a client. Um, do you think that Arsenal kind of, they're like, wow, we can do this, you know, pandemic or no pandemic. This is how we're going to do it from now on. I don't uh, see what do you think that they really want to get back into that? Yeah. I don't see why that would be there. Cause they're literally, they're sitting in the press conference room just behind us and we're out in the stadium in the press box, but they're in the press conference room. So oh, that's true. Yeah. You're in that close they're, proximity anyway. They're already, they could just open it up and let us in. But, I'm sure it will happen, but I think for now, until sort of October, I think it is end of October, we've been told it's going to stay exactly the same and we're just going to have to have to deal with it and see see how it goes. But like at Tottenham last week, we had food. They gave us food, um, which was like a big moment because it was the first time in 18 months that we had anything to were eat. Were you like Oliver Twist? You're like, please, sir, I have some more. <laughs> first time in 18 months we'd actually got anything to eat. And so before you just literally got to your seat, you sat there for four hours and that was it. And um, in the winter, it was pretty roof. It was pretty brutal in the winter. Um, and so it was great to actually walk in there, get some food. But you weren't as soon as you'd finished your food, you had to go straight out to the press box. You couldn't just stay there and mingle and stay in the warm. So, um, I mean, at the moment, it's all right because it's summer over here. But yeah, in the winter, it's uh, it can be pretty brutal just sitting in that same seat for four hours, not moving. So hopefully it all sorts out. Fingers crossed. I can certainly understand that. If there's, if there's any more questions, we're going to get to that in just a moment. Uh, we, we've got about uh, eight minutes left in this segment with, with Charles. Uh, then we move into to hour 21 of 24. But uh, your top four, bottom three, uh, and uh, and where you think Arsenal will finish if they're not in one of those two categories, 
Uh, we've been trying to get this for everybody that's come on. I think I forgot to ask James, but uh, but Charles, we're, we we want to know yours. What do you think? Oh, man, well, I'm going to have to type something. I'm going to have to have a look, look at the table now because my mind's gone blank. You see, I can't remember who's come up. Um, right, top four, um, yeah, it's going to be the same as last season for me. I think it will be Manchester City will win it. Um, I think Chelsea will be second this time. Liverpool third. No, yeah, Liverpool third, Man United fourth. Bottom three, I'd say Norwich, um, Watford and Southampton. Maybe not in that order, but those three, where Arsenal are going to finish, I think. I can't see them finishing higher than sixth, to be honest. I'd say sixth right now. I mean, they're not going to get in the top four. I'd be stunned. Those t- those clubs are so strong in the top four and Arsenal just haven't done anywhere near enough in the transfer market yet to, for me to even remotely believe they can compete with those top four teams um, over the course of the season. So I just can't see it. And I'd say I think Leicester are going to be very strong again. You know, can Arsenal finish above Spurs this season? I think a lot depends on Harry Kane with that. But um, yeah, I'll say sixth for Arsenal. All right, that's uh, that seems to be by far the most common uh, situation that we have here, and and we're good. What we're going to do so that we don't end up running into the next hour, we're going to do our drawing now for the for the uh, nine o'clock Eastern hour. Uh, it's two p.m. over there, isn't it? Uh, uh, or almost three p.m. over there. So uh, this hour's drawing is for a brand new uh, Arsenal twenty one twenty two kit. You can choose the size. You can choose whether you want the home away or the third kit. And you can choose, if you want, the player personalization on it. I refuse to, to allow you to use Jaka, though. Um, but uh, Chris, uh, or Chris, um, Charles, I actually called Chris Wheatley Charles Wheatley earlier in the podcast. He said that was a, that was a massive compliment. So I just about called you Chris Watts. Um, sorry about that. I get what that. Your favorite oh, fusion dance. I always get called Chris. What do you think um, of those three kits? What, I mean, what what do you think of them? This, I mean, do you like the the, the yellow, a little bit untraditional color yellow, uh, maybe? But uh, but the third kit that just came out, what do you like I them all? Do you do you not? I don't mind the third kit. I don't. I mean, the, the uh, second kit, the away kit, I'm, I prefer it to be the proper yellow, but I don't mind it. The home kit's nice. It looks nice. It's not really my cup of tea, though. I just prefer to have the white sleeves, and, and that's it. I think the third kit's lovely. I love it. Uh, I think it's really, really nice. I've shown it to my you wife. Think it looks too much like a, like the seats on the Piccadilly line. It does a little bit. I've seen the pictures going around on the social on the internet about it, but I think it's really nice. I've shown it to my wife yesterday, and she likes it. And if she likes it, then it must be nice because uh, she hates everything to do with Arsenal football. So. <laughs> oh God, that's not easy. Yeah. My uh, yeah, mine mine is on its way. Uh, I I uh, you know I, I look. I'm sorry. I, I I'm supporting the club in in my own way because. Uh, because they make them in my size, and so I need more. I need more of a wardrobe that actually fits me these days. So, so uh, we are picking. Uh, let's see what do we have left in the in this uh, in this potathon. We have a new Arsenal kit. We have uh, another Ruth Beck Arsenal print. We have a, a Super Kevin Campbell signed retro shirt. We have another new personalized Arsenal kit, and then in the final hour of the podcast, we have uh, the FA Cup winning first team signed shirt. Uh, from 2019 to 20 with the entirety of that team. So, you know, you'll get your Kalasinac signatures, you get your Mustafi signatures. I mean, <laughs> how can I upsell this thing? We did win the FA Cup with that squad. So uh, so it's going to be it's, it's going to be great. So the winner of the new Arsenal kit of your choice will be subject to uh, 
to some of the roles. Yep, Nick Canning is ineligible as he's already won three prizes. Uh, at this point, we're, uh, we're we've we've capped it at three. Nick uh, Nick did win the um, the uh, I think Lee Dixon signed shirt. So I, I think between the two, you'd rather have that. Um, let's go back and redraw for the winner of a new Arsenal kit. Be funny if it's Aston, wouldn't it? <laughs> Kushal Ashar and Kushal won the very first and the second raffle. We haven't seen his name since then, so this is uh, this is for you, Kushal. Thank you for your uh, for your donation, and you have won a new Arsenal kit. I will get in touch with you to get the details of which kit you want um, and uh, whether you want a name on the back. But uh, congratulations, Kushal, and thank you again for your for your donation. Um, Going to bring back onto the podcast Jared, who is uh, who is in Chicago right now, and and he's he's going to be on, I think, for the rest of the time, uh, if I'm correct, or close to the rest of the time. Yeah, I think that's the plan. Good good morning for me, gentlemen. Good morning, Charles. Pleasure to be on with you. Morning. Yep. And uh, and and yeah, uh, people are just pissed at Kushal. I I understand. Don't don't take it on him personally. Uh, but uh, but yeah, and and uh, and who won the Wayne Rooney signed Jack Wilshire shirt? Um, man, it's, this has been a long podcast. That was like 11 (laughs) hours ago. We talked about how JJ, uh, loved Jack Wilshire. Um, his father was over there working with the England team or something like that. And, and, or stepfather and said, you like Jack Wilshire? I'll get him to sign the Jersey brings home the Jersey for him. It's an England number seven, Jack. I think he was, he wore seven England, number seven, Jack Wilshire shirt with a signature on it that clearly says Wayne Rooney 10. (laughs) So, I mean, Wayne must have been like, why is someone asking me to sign a Jack Wilshire jersey? But, uh, yeah, a little bit of a confusion there, but that that, that was a funny story. So, um, so look, uh, Charles, we got one more question for you, I think, uh, in the chat, if I remember correctly. Um, Oh, yeah, any more incoming transfers? That kind of has been asked. I've got one more real quick. Okay. Um, Charles, tomorrow, I mean, this week, the Premier League starts. Uh, you guys have a press conference with Arteta tomorrow. And what are you going to ask him? What are you, what are you like, What what's on your mind that you want to actually reach out to and kind of get the information for as far as tomorrow's concerned? It was today. It was this morning. Today. Yeah. Today, yeah. yeah. They don't do the day of the game. They do it the day before the game. Yeah, no, we had it. We had it this morning. And um, I, the I question wasn't... Charles is going to ask is why did I miss your press conference? Yeah. <laughs> um, I didn't. I didn't ask a question. Unfortunately, we get how the press conferences work in the whole Zoom era is they are basically panelists that uh, are sort of selected beforehand, and they kind of do it on rotation. And uh, if you're not panelists, then you're not. On, you're not able to ask a question. They go through, and uh, yeah, it wasn't. Oh, really? I, see, I didn't know that. I, I, I mean, the only one I've ever been exposed to is a kind of raise your hand, and we'll come around and. and yeah, you can uh, do the art. The post post match games uh, are like that. So the post match press conferences is if you're in the ground, you know, and you're and you're on the you're on the call, you can raise your hand, and then it's Mark Canella's like the head of communications. He's sitting next to Mikel, and he'll choose. He'll just go through until he picks everyone who's got their hands up. But in terms of the post pre-match ones which are the better ones because he's not pissed off he hasn't just seen Arsenal lose and, and everything like that and he doesn't want to just get on the team coach and go home but he'll sit there and he'll actually answer questions and it'll go on for longer but um because of the way they're set up and you've got the embargo stuff that happens afterwards when they turn the cameras off and you talk to the stuff that will go out at 10 30 tonight you have the selected panelists and uh yeah it wasn't 
wasn't me today. It was it was others asking questions. I think right right now I'd have been if I was going to ask a question today, it would have been about the goalkeeper situation for me. Like I said at the start of it, I just would love to understand how we've got to this stage of the summer and such a key area, key position hasn't been addressed. And uh, for me, I just found I just find that completely bizarre. And I'd have I think that would certainly been the root of my question in today. Mark, Mark runs a tight ship, doesn't he? Uh, tight ship, I said. Um, so yeah, the uh, uh, I. I Enjoyed getting to meet Mark in in Denver and LA um, and and communicate with him. So I just want to leave you with this because you know we know in the next uh, you know thirty hours or so you're going to be covering on the Arsenal live from the uh, from from Brentford Stadium. Just be thinking about this the entire time. I would always think about that. That's- yeah, <laughs> you know, the, and and my life is complete knowing that you'll always think about that. Mm-hmm. Um, Charles, you've been an absolute joy. Um, 30 second crossover with our next guest, Perry, Perry, you know, we, I've been vaccinated. Um, so it's okay. But, uh, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so never be too sure chaps. Never be too sure. Never be too sure. Yes. Uh, thank th- Perry. I'm looking forward to this chat with you and Charles, many, many thanks for everything that you've done for us. I, I appreciate your support, uh, starting last year when we first met and, and uh, continuing on with the charity. It, it's been a pleasure to talk to you and uh, interact with you. And I'm looking forward to hearing more uh, as we get through, you know, more Madison news as we get through the next 19 days. All right, Tom, man, have a good one, boys. Well done on this on this thing. It's an incredible 24 hours. I uh, hand Thank off you, Charles. I appreciate it. it. Take care. Bye.